Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. As you know the drill, turn to your neighbor and say, go Kansas City Chiefs. Come on. Hey, do we have any Raven fans? I'm so, I'm not sad for you. I'm so glad that they lost. Come on. They lost to Tennessee, right? Yeah. Man, I'm glad you made it here today. Could you, could you turn to your second neighbor and say, man, I'm just so glad you made it today. Man, you guys are amazing. Do you guys like first service? You guys like it? Man, these lights are bright, which... It's fine. You can keep them like that. Just totally highlights my red hairness. Um, hey, so I'm going to get into the message here today. I'm going to be just uh, a few minutes. I'm really excited. Before I do that, I'm really excited about our conference uh, coming up next week. I, I promise you, you don't want to miss it. God's going to do some <clears throat> extraordinary things in our lives. Uh, let me just say something really quick about Mike Heron. If you don't know who Mike Heron is, I think probably most of us don't. Uh, he he um, had really a formative um, role, shaping role in my parents' life. Um, I don't know if you've heard the story. Let me say this. How many of you believe that Jesus heals today? Uh, we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, right, and forever. And uh, we reject kind of a cessationist <clears throat> um, approach to life and reality. We believe that God's still at work in our lives. Well, um, my mom, I just want to, I never shared this story before. My mom, Pastor Con, Connie, how many of you love her? Love her so much. Uh, she was about 25 years old. I would have been about three or four-ish or something like that. We were living in Portland at the time. And my mom had just gone to the eye doctor. Is that the ophthalmologist? Am I right? Okay. So she got an eye exam and the, and the eye doctor told her, by the age of 30, you will go blind. And you will not see your children grow up. It was a serious diagnosis. And I don't know if it was a week or two or more or whatever. Could have been longer than that. <clears throat> she ended up going to a worship service. Mike Heron was worshiping, uh, leading the whole church in, in to worship. And I think he was praying for healing. And no one came and prayed over my mom. But in this worship experience, my mom instantly, her eye, I can't remember if it was her, was it dad, Pastor Ken in the back, is it left? Left eye, right, was instantly healed, instantly in her mid-20s. She's been able to see for the last, shoot, 40 years, whatever. Uh, at one point, her eye doctor here in Boise would take her to other ophthalmologists and say, okay, check the back of her eye because this does not make sense. She should not be able to see. So it's, we, we believe that, man, um, God can, with God, all things are possible. So I don't want you to miss um, this weekend, um, okay? If you do, I'll track you down. I'll judge you. I'm kidding. No, we don't judge. Some of you actually thought I was serious. I, I'm not a judger. Shane Grove, no. Anyway, I'm, I'm just going to move on. Um, my executive team will judge you, but I won't, right? No, I'm, uh, so I'm going to talk about purpose. Everyone say Purpose. So what is our ultimate 
purpose. I love Shane. Shane gives, brings so much insight. He said, this is kind of an old man joke, but I don't think it's an old man thing. Um, it's 2020, right? And I think God in 2020, there's the dad, dad joke. Here it comes. God wants to give us clear-eyed vision. He wants to give us insight on how to live our lives. First service, I can say that because you like dad jokes. Second service, I can't say that. But I do believe that God wants to give um, clarity about what you're supposed to do this year. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's our ultimate purpose today. I'm going to do my best to uh, bring clarity to that, to flesh it out. Here's the thing. In order for our purpose to become a lived reality, it has to be defined, right? It's pretty basic stuff. So in order for you on a daily, on a daily whatever, every single day throughout your week, if, if you want to live purpose, uh, you have to bring definition to it. You have to bring clarity to it. Let me just say this really quick. Purpose, <clears throat> and I know when we, when we reference purpose, we use generic terms with it, and I kind of like, uh, I don't like that. I like to be more specific when it comes to uh, purpose. But let me just say this really quick. As I get into purpose, I, I need to qualify. I am not your self-help guru today, right? Isn't it funny we have, we have slow-mo selfies now? We are in the throes of the selfing of America, right? If I see on Instagram you guys have, what, an, uh, some blower and you're slow-moing like this, I'll come, I, no, I don't know why I want to, like, come after people today. <laughs> but we are in the selfing of America. Hey, self-help is good. I just, I just think that the secular therapeutic movement is wrongheaded, and it won't lead you into human flourishing at all. If you're serious about joy and happiness and peace, you need something more than self-help. Self-help is rooted in the idea that you can find all the answers inside of you. I'm sorry. I've tried that stuff, and it, 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 yeah, you won't find salvation inside you. You can't find redemption. You can't find wisdom, right? It's located outside of yourself. I'm not going to get into that, but I'm not your self-help guru. I'm not your life coach. I'm your pastor. So I, I want to give you just a fresh biblical vision of what purpose is. Let me just say this really quick. Purpose is, you can write this down. This comes from one author. Purpose is the daily commitment. Everyone say daily. It is a daily commitment to being faithful to why God has created you. When, when we think of purpose, we usually think of it in vocational terms, right? I'm a student. I'm a banker. I'm a baker of goods. I'm a, I don't know, I'm an athlete. I'm such and such. I'm a plumber. I teach school. I'm a mom. I'm a dad of 3,000 kids, whatever, right? I, I'm this. I'm this. And on one level, yes, that can be related to purpose. But purpose first is not just something that you do, right? Purpose is all about why you exist Right now, in 2020, is it just to coach football? Is it just to be a pastor, right? Is it just to, um, I don't know, just to raise kids? Is it just to make money? Is it just, I, I don't know what you're thinking when it comes to purpose, but purpose is not, when you look at it biblically, it's not just a vocational thing. Purpose is all about why you exist, and you need definition, you need clarity um, when it comes to your purpose so you can live that out every single day. Why do you need clarity? Well, I, I, my, my parents, when I was 
young, they put me in um, piano. Uh, they gave me piano lessons. And within about a week of doing piano, I realized I was never going to be a classical pianist. I hated it, right? Part of the reason why I hated it is because I, I knew rehearsal was coming, and I didn't want to play, was it Chopsticks, Frank? I didn't want to play that in front of people, so I got out of piano because I just didn't have the talent. Then my parents put me in a music class, and uh, I played the cornet for uh, two years, and uh, I, I stayed in third chair, which is bad, right? I never got to second chair, never got to first chair. In fact, we would go around to different nursing homes and play. This was like fifth or sixth grade, and my music um, uh, choir teacher, whatever, told me to always play softly. I just thought, I just thought, I, you know, I was melodic, right? And I just, my, I just had an extraordinary ability. I didn't know why I was in the third chair, but I never got to the first chair. Why? Because, I mean, come on. I wasn't designed by God to um, play the piano, play trumpet, cornet. Uh, but early on, um, I began to realize there were two things that I, that I was good at. I was good at reading books and playing sports, basketball. And I gave myself to that, right? So here's the thing. When it comes to fulfillment, when it comes to um, purpose talk, when it comes to really entering into the joy that God has for you, you have to define what God has designed you for. Can I get an amen to that, right? So uh, remember, purpose is not just a vocational thing. It's not just you being a student, not just you being an athlete, not just you being a banker, not just you making money or building homes or whatever. It's all about, okay, why are you and I, specifically in this community, why are we breathing right now? Are you hearing me? Also, when it comes to purpose, and this is really important before I answer the question why we're here today, um, when it comes to purpose, it's important, and I want a good amen to this, it's important that you don't mix up purpose with scale. Okay, so I just did a little thought experiment. I'm, how many of you are on Instagram? It wasn't a thought experiment. It was actually a real ex experiment. Or Facebook. How many, probably Facebook would be this first. Okay, more people on Facebook. So um, I'm, I, I can't stand Facebook, right? Um, so I'm rarely on Facebook. Instagram, I like it a little bit more, but I probably make one post a year, right? It's an obligatory post because I, my wife wants me to make a post. All right. Um, so I'm not on it. So please, I wasn't doing this, what I'm about to tell you. I wasn't doing it because I was comparing myself. But I just, I've been thinking about, okay, purpose is not, can't be entangled with scale. And I'm going to explain this. So I did an experiment. I looked at my Instagram Page. I didn't even know how many followers I have, so I'm going to let you know I have 1,611. That's not good in this. It's just not good. Compared, compared. So I did a comparison. My cousin, I have two best friends, Shane and Judah Smith, my cousin. So I looked at my cousin's Instagram page. Some people say he's the greatest communicator of our generation. He is. I really do believe he is. He has 600, and I don't even think this way, so I'm kind of embarrassed even doing this, but this is totally an experiment. I did it this morning. He has like 623,000 people that follow him. I have 1,600. <laughs> Some of you have 11 people that follow you, right? Um, my cousin, if you know anything about him, he, he basically pastors all of young L.A., like every celebrity that you know, 
He pastors. It's, it's amazing what God is doing through him. So I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from what God has for Judah, right? But I did this comparison because I wanted to make the point. I have 1,600 followers. He has 623,000 followers. The question is, does Judah in his life have more purpose to it because he has more followers? Or because he's reaching more people than me? Right? It's funny. People think today that the only way that you can really have human flourishing is you got to be really stinking successful, right? Or you have to be famous. Isn't it funny? Jim Carrey, you know Jim Carrey, the movie star? About three years ago, I loved this tweet. He's a little eccentric, right? A little crazy. But I think he did it. He posted something on Twitter and it said, hey, I wish everybody had all the fame and all the money in the world and then they would realize it's not what it's all cracked up to be. Right? So this is important that we understand that um, like when we think of, oh, I got to do big things this year in order to have purpose. No, no, no. Let's not mix up purpose with scale. Right? We're all over. We're in different seasons. Right? Some of us have tons of kids. Some of us have no kids. I recommend no kids for a long time. Some of us have a lot of money. Some of us don't have a lot of money. Some of us are going through a bad season. Some of us are going through a good season. Right? We cannot compare ourselves and reduce purpose to scale or compare what, what our life is like with someone else's life. Can I get an amen to that? Purpose is much more than that. Purpose is simply having clarity about what God wants you to do and you taking your daily life and structuring it around what God has created you to be and to do. God's not called me to L.A. God's called me to Boise, and I thank God every single day. Can I get an amen? I don't care if I'm famous. I don't care. I don't care about making money. I've never cared about making money. Maybe some of you care about making money, and that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But we know that making money will never give you joy and satisfaction that we all need. In fact, Viktor Frankl, um, Frankl, he's a, a Jewish psychologist that was in a concentration camp for, I think, maybe two years. And uh, he came to the conclusion that those who survived in these concentration camps, going through horrible circumstances, were the ones that weren't the ones who had money or status or achievement. They were the ones that were able to find purpose and hope and meaning. They were the ones that were able to survive and make it through some of the most extraordinary circumstances, inhumane circumstances that anybody could experience. So I want you to, when we're talking about purpose here today, and I promise I'm going to get into what the Bible talks about purpose, I want you to hear me. Zachariah says this, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Be okay with little steps. Be okay with the little things. Jesus even privileges faithfulness in the little things over fame. Jesus doesn't care about fame. Now, if you get famous, that's great. We're not saying there's anything wrong with that. But your ultimate goal shouldn't be to be famous. It should be to be faithful to the little things. And as we're faithful in the little things, God will give us bigger things. Am I talking to the right people? Okay, so what is our purpose? I want to read this text in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. 
This is the creation story. We have a Genesis 1-1. It says in the beginning, right? Genesis 1-1. The beginning is, is used in the Hebrew as an indeterminate amount of time. We know that in an indeterminate amount of time, God created space and time and matter, right, through his generous love. Everything from supernovas to people. We don't know where feral cats came from, right? But it's a, it's a stupid joke. Um, but everything that we know, do you believe this? That God created the cosmos through his generous love. Can I get any man to that? As you read Genesis 1 and as you kind of get, kind of read it as a, as a rhythm, uh, read it um, in its, as it crescendos at the end of Genesis chapter 1, you begin to see, and especially in the ancient Near East, they read Genesis 1, they would have seen it as God building a temple where he could inhabit with his presence. In fact, we look at Genesis chapter 1 as we move into Genesis chapter 2, God wants to flood the cosmos with his joy and with his justice. You believe that? So we have this tremendous story of God building out the cosmos, uh, the vastness of it, and then moving into building out a suitable place for the first image bearers. We'll call them capital H humans, Adam and Eve. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and it says, Then the Lord God took the man, and what did he do? And he put him in the garden of what? In the garden of Eden. It's an incomplete project, the garden. It's not fully complete. God wants to partner with, with Adam. But he took him in the garden of Eden to work it. Could you say work it? I think we need to work out this year, right? But that's not what this word means, right? Right. To work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. We find here... Right? First, let me just, I'm, I want to make sure we're on the same page. Our purpose is not successfulness this year. Our purpose is not achievement this year. Hear me, ultimately. Our purpose is not having fame or status or making more money. If that happens, that's great. Right? Can I get an amen? Our purpose is found in what's being said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And what is the author of Genesis telling us after he describes God building out the vast world of space and time and people and things and protons? The author of Genesis describes Adam as a priest. I've never seen this before, but to work and to keep is actually priest language. It's used, it's used or it's described, or it's a description, I'll say it this way, it's a description of the duties of the priest, and you can find this in Numbers. To work and to keep, actually probably the better translation would be to worship and to obey. So the Garden of Eden, and I know I'm not going to get into fancy talk here, maybe I will, who knows, we'll see. Um, but when it comes to the garden, the garden is an architectural embodiment of the very presence of God. The garden is where uh, God takes Adam and eventually Eve and places them in it. And this first human and then the first humans are given the responsibility, right, 
the responsibility to take the garden and to bring it into flourishing, to make it abundant, to make it fruitful, and then to extend it throughout creation itself. But they were supposed to do that as priests. Adam is the first priest. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3, and I can't make, I, I decided against making a, a big like argument. I really wanted to argue this out today, but I don't have time to do that. But what we find in Genesis, regarding Adam as a priest, but what we find in Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve commit what? Rebellion. What happens? Creation, right? Creation is affected so much so that we have now ontological wreckage. Everything is just wrecked. Everything is broken. And we find this first priest, everyone say priest, outside at the end of Genesis chapter 3, outside Eden. Eden is sacred space. He's banished from sacred space. Adam is now um, summoned or fated, we'll say it that way, to live as a fugitive, as a wanderer. In fact, one scholar says this, having lost the garden and the presence of God and consequently their priestly responsibilities, humans have also lost their purpose. The first human was a priest and we find at the end of Genesis chapter 3 that Adam became the first excommunicated priest banished from sacred space, exiled, fated because of his rebellion to live in this wandering period. Let me just say this really quick. I want to make the argument that not just Adam was a priest, but Jesus, in Jesus, we find when we give our lives to him that we're also called to be priests. I'm going to give you just a, a, a litany of scriptures here really quick. Exodus chapter 19. Well, I love Exodus 19. Do we have that passage? Exodus 19, 5 through 6 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, this is God speaking to Moses and the people of God, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Right? Among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Then we come to verse 6. And you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Um, I think we have, is it Revelation? We'll go to Revelation chapter 1, 5 through 6 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. How many of you think that's good news? Come on, somebody, right? Because of what Jesus has made us, right? Through his victorious achievements on the cross and his bodily resurrection, we are then made into a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation, if you still don't believe that as followers of Jesus we're called to be priests, let's go to Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I love the diversity in this. Can I get an amen to that? And you have made them a kingdom and And, come on, and he didn't say in a kingdom and a group of self-actualizers. 
and some consumers that come to church, right? Or some people that just kind of randomly walk in and hear some good music and, yeah, that's great. I'm going to, what, I believe in Jesus and then do nothing with that. No, he said, you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And this is crazy. I don't have, to time, I don't have time to uh, flesh this out. And they shall reign on the earth. Quickly, 1 Peter. I love 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Adam, right, is kind of a prototype. He's the first priest. He's then an excommunicated priest. That kind of shapes um, uh, Israel's theology. I want to make the case, please hear me. I've already said this, but I want you to hear this. Adam, having lost the presence of God and the garden, lost its purpose. Lost his sense of meaning, right? And he was destined to live um, a life of, of, of futility. We then, if you look at, you back up a little bit, you look at all of Genesis. Are you guys still with me? You look at Genesis, the, whole, the entire book of Genesis, Genesis 2, and then you end in Genesis chapter 50. It's fascinating. Genesis 2 begins with image bearers placed in a lush garden with the life-giving presence of God. You see that God is walking to and fro in the garden. And then tragically, the book of Genesis ends in the death and burial of Joseph in Egypt. This is what happens, right, when we're outside the presence of God. This is what happens when we engage in rebellion. We don't just damage our souls, right? We lose our very sense of why we are here today. Humans are not just called to be good parents, and they, please, be a good parent. Not just called to be good pastors or good bankers or good construction workers or, I don't know, good babysitters or whatever, good athletes, and those are good things. We were designed by God. It's wired into our biology to be priests over creation itself. That's what we're called um, to be. But tragically, Adam lost that and we lost that. And what you find throughout, um, as I land this plane, you find throughout the Old Testament you get a sense that God's people, as they wrote history and narrative and, and poems, that there was this deep, built-in longing to go back to the presence of God. We call this gate liturgy. So humans were called to be priests. Adam was banished from sacred space. He's excommunicated. And because he's excommunicated, he's, he's lost his purpose, right? That has affected the rest of Humanity And throughout the Old Testament, and this is shaped by what God is doing to restore humans back into the presence of God, we have poems, and I want to begin in Psalm 15, that talk about longing to get back into the presence of God. This is what Psalm, we call this gate liturgy. Psalm 15, one says, O Lord, 
Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Love that. We go to Psalm 24. And I want you to kind of, I want you to get the mood. The mood is one of expectation and longing. It's driven by the sense that we're on the outside and we want to be on the inside. How many of you ever been on the outside before of something? I still will never forget when I was nine years old, my, not Shane, but my other best friend, not Judah, but another best friend you don't know, told me I was his best friend and did not invite me to his birthday party. And I haven't forgot it, right? There is nothing like feel like you feel like you're on the outside, right? C.S. Lewis says we have a built says we have a built-in desire to be on the inside. That that kind of desire to be on the inside shapes this kind of gate liturgy we find in Psalm 15, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Verse two. For he is founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. Then we go into verse three. Who? This is the question that shapes Israel's expectation and theology and their understanding of what God is doing in human history. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, right? The hill of the Lord is associated with the Garden of Eden. And who shall stand in his holy place? Let's go for it. Psalm 23, 5 through 6 says, God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will, what? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We come to the Psalm 36. says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. That's a reference to the, the temple. The temple was the embodiment or a microcosm of the garden itself where God's presence inhabited. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. That's a reference to the Garden of Eden. I love this. And then are we in verse, yeah, whatever verse that is. For with you is the fountain of life. With God is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. We go to Psalm 27 verse 4. Are you still with me? David goes, one thing. This is, this, is, this is priest language. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Right? This shapes Israel's theology and expectation. Then we come to Psalm 84. I love this. How lovely, the poet goes, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. We'll go to verse 2. My soul longs. Could you say longs? Like the worst dream ever is when uh, I get these occasionally growing up. Like about 4 o'clock in the morning, I would dream of, a, of me getting a vanilla ice cream cone. Is there anything better than a vanilla ice cream cone? And in my dream, I'm a, I can almost taste it. And right before I taste that vanilla ice cream cone, I wake up, right? It's the worst thing. That, that kind of is what this, this psalmist or this liturgist or this po- poet is kind of describing. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Skip down to verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the God than go clubbing on Saturday night. Right, I, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and his shield. For the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts 
in you. So what are we talking about? Well, your purpose is to be a priest. You were created to be a priest, and that's to shape every aspect of your life, number one. Number two, the desire or the expectation of the priest, it's really simple, is to go back into the garden, into God's presence, and to sum up with articulate praise and sometimes inarticulate prayer the goodness and the justice and this, the awesomeness, come on, of God himself. Okay, so we just read through all of these psalms. There's some worship songs I don't really care for. There's one worship song, I don't know where it's from, I think maybe Bethel. They're great, Bethel's amazing. But there's one song that goes, um, let him kiss me with like a big sloppy kiss. How he loves me, that's a great song. You guys probably all love it. But I don't want Jesus to give me a sloppy kiss. So I'm just, I, I just, I'm, this is connected to what I'm talking about, right? And I get why people like it. My wife loves the song. And I'm like, babe, why do you even like this song? She's like, she loves songs when, about dancing with Jesus. I don't want to dance with Jesus, right? I want to be in relationship with Jesus, but I don't want him giving me a big sloppy kiss. That's kind of interesting. It's funny. My wife and I had this argument last Sunday coming to church with seven flipping kids <laughs> over this. She puts in Kanye's new gospel album as we're heading to church, and it's, it's Jesus is Born, I think the title. And he does a cover song, right, of SWV or something, like this early 90s. How many of you love 90s music? Come on, I just, sometimes I just, I love 90s music. Dad, don't judge me. He's judging me right now. He only listened to worship and classical music. Never secular. Never secular. Um, but this, it's called Weak. Have you ever heard that song by any, I, I was going to play, I was going to sing it to you. Maybe, maybe one day I'll sing for you guys. I decided not to do it. But this is the cover song. And it describes, I think, what priests really desire. And let me just read some of the lyrics. We get so weak in the knees. And this is the argument that I had with my wife. I'll describe, I'll describe that here pretty soon. We can hardly speak, right? We lose all control in your presence. It's not a phase, right? We live in your sweetness or something. I get weak and then my heart starts beating triple time. So my wife and I had a conversation. I'm like, you know what? I just don't like that language. I'm just like, you know, I'm just, that's not how I relate to Jesus, right? I'm not in some romance with him. I believe I'm a partner. I know he loves me. He's my dad. My wife is different. She's like, man, that just describes how I relate to God himself, right? And his presence. So she won the argument, usually, you know, like she always does. I said, yes, babe. So we started listening to this, mute, this, this song. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is exactly... You know, I don't really particularly like getting weak at the knees, like my heart beats triple time. This never happened to me on the front row of a worship experience. But I think it does capture the mood of this gate liturgy. liturgy. It, it describes the desire and the longing of this priestly kingdom we call Israel, right? They, more than anything, wanted to live life in the fullness of God's presence. They wanted, they wanted to get back into sacred space, right? They wanted, they wanted their priestly responsibilities to be restored within creation itself, right? They wanted to bring order 
And this is kind of the kingly aspect of our of why we exist. But they wanted to bring order and to bring creation into human flourishing. And the only way we can do that is by being in the presence of God. Let me just say this really quick as I close. The only way life is going to make sense, right? The only way you're ever going to discover purpose is if you learn to fall in love with God. When, hear, hear me, when your desire to be in God's presence is greater than success, I guarantee you, I'll say it this way, I'm going to stand up. I think so many times we're more in love and we long for success and money and control, right, and achievement and status. And we give ourselves to it and we give our heart to it and that's our expectation is that God come and bless me, God come and do something for me. Well, the heart of a priest is God, that's great. And I know you might give some of that to me, but that's not what I want. What I want is to go back into your presence. Because it's in your presence that everything else in life falls into place. Jesus said, hey, seek first money. Seek first beauty. Success. No, 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 no. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then Jesus said, all these things shall be added unto you. Like, hey, man, I want us to exercise. Man, if, if vegan is your thing and you want to take care of your body, please, we need to take care of our bodies, right? If you need a life coach, that's great. If you need counseling, please get counseling. That's amazing. We have amazing mental health professionals in this church and outside this church that can really help people. But the most important thing for us in 2020, if this is a year of clarity, right, and insight, the most important thing is learning to live life from God's presence. It's developing a desire for that. It's like, okay, Kanye, words might be a little bit weird, but triple beat my heart, God, right? Help me fall in love with, with you. Please don't give me a sloppy kiss, but hey, I work at second service, okay. Right, this is the reason we exist is to be priests. What does that mean? We'll find, and give me two minutes, I'm done. Romans 12, one through two. Paul writes, I appeal to you as he talks about the achievements of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us through the cross and through the bodily resurrection of the Son of God. He writes in Romans 12, it's all priestly language. As I appeal to you, therefore, because of everything that Jesus has done for us, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable imperfect. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes.